Hello, and welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted, and today my very special guest is composer Gabriella Lena Frank. Hi, Gabriella. Thanks for coming down today. Thanks for having me. We have a lot of your music that we're going to listen to today, and I think it's a very interesting selection um, that we've chosen. The first thing we're going to listen to is a string quartet called Leyendas. And can you tell us a little bit about that piece? Sure. Leyendas was written in 2001, and I was just finishing up my training at the University of Michigan, where I had been studying for my doctorate under the tutelage of some really great composers like William Albright and Leslie Bassett. I studied briefly with Michael Doherty, who I believe you have also had on your show. And my main teacher was William Balcom, who is known for his incorporation of such genres as American song, turn-of-the-century song, cabaret, with Western classical. So I had some really good models of composers that were fusing a lot of different styles. And Balcom had been encouraging me to travel more in Latin America, something I hadn't done when I was growing up in Berkeley, California in the 70s and 80s. So in the 90s, I began to travel as a young woman in my 20s in Latin America. And Leyendas was written in 2001 on the heels of my first extended trip to my mother's homeland of Peru. So Leyendas, colon, an Andean walkabout for the entire title is in six movements. First movement is called Toyos, which is a large panpipe. And the Andean mountain tradition is really known for its many varieties of panpipes. They range from the very low ones, which are the Toyos, which can uh, reach down to the register of a cello and take a great deal of lung power to play. And when we're talking about a mountain culture, it's all about breath and, and stamina and and these instruments are so large that sometimes I have seen players stand on rocks in order to play them so that they have more uh, distance from the ground. And the panpipes can range up to the very high chuli, which are, are treble instruments, and they're very difficult to play for the opposite reason, to focus the air stream and to um, pull out the real whistle tones that you get there. So the first movement of Leyendas is a ceremonial, uh, slow movement where the notes are pulsated the way that they would be pulsated in a tenuto fashion on the panpipes. They're voiced a fourth apart. This distance of harmony is very common, panpipe music. Because you have to spit into the instrument to engage the sound, I have the other players around the violist, who's the panpipe player of this, this movement, the other players play pizzicato, they're plucking at the strings. To me, they sound like spit. And when I hear players that are giving me a really nice, warm, Mahler, Brahms, pizzicato, <laughs> I have to say, no, I need a tighter one. I need you to choke it up a little higher on the instrument and just use your nail instead of the right. nice fleshy part of your finger because you have to sound like spit. And mm -hmm. when you can give your players images of a culture, of an instrument, or the technique of playing like spit attacks, they will come up with a lot of the, the extras, which is so wonderful for us composers. So Toyos goes right into Tarqueada, uh, which is the second movement of the string quartet Leyendas, which is completely different. Tarqueada flutes are, instead of being a type of panpipe with different rows of, of pipes strung together, is a single uh, block of wood that has two chambers in it. Again, you can play two notes at once that are voiced a fourth or a fifth apart, but you don't um, you don't breathe across the pipes the same way. You're directing the airstream through the instrument, mm. so you have a much more focused sound. Great. Let's have a listen then to the Chiara String Quartet play Toyos and Tarqueada. <laughs> Thank you. 
It's amazing to me how naturally you can actually imitate um, woodwind sounds on the strings. <laughs> that, that sounds very nice. Uh, we heard two movements from Leyendas, Toyos and Tarqueada, performed by the Chiara String Quartet by composer Gabriela Lina Frank, who is my guest today. Now, you were born in Berkeley and raised as, as an American, uh, but you have a really interesting cultural heritage. And um, as you said before, it was William Bolcom who um, encouraged you really to travel through Latin America, and that's become a real big part of, uh, of what you've done musically. Could you talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Well, growing up in Berkeley, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. My father was a, was a Peace Corps volunteer in the 60s when Kennedy first started this program. I think Dad was in the second wave of volunteers uh, around 63, 64. He had just finished up his training um, uh, at Michigan and was stationed in Peru, and that's where he met my mom in the coastal town of Chimbote up north. And they went to Berkeley because Dad was a, a grad student at Cal. So I spent my entire childhood growing up there, and we spoke English in the household. And there's a gene that's floating around in the Frank side of the family where my grandmother, Lucy Frank, descended from Eastern Europeans, Lithuanians, really had the talent. They had perfect pitch, she and her brother, and they could extemporize, and they were facile pianists, could entertain people at parties, and were really into Gershwin and, and the, the, the great... American pop music around the 20s and 30s. And there are pictures of me and my grandmother, Lucy Frank, sitting at the piano and improvising. And she was so happy when I came along because finally there was another <laughs> Frank that had the bug too. And, but as a result of this, we didn't really take the music talent seriously in that way. I wasn't pushed into classical music like a lot of my colleagues were. And, and um, I had a very unusual piano teacher, a neighborhood piano teacher with mom number two. She was a refugee from South Africa. She and her husband were protesters against the government. I mean, this is very Berkeley, this kind of upbringing that I had. And my friends were uh, other Caucasians that were surrounded by great Mexican restaurants from different styles. And mm-hmm. we could talk about what kind of Chinese food we wanted. I mean, cuisine <laughs> was, a, was a great identifier for us, for all of us, actually, in, in California. And and other friends were half French, half Vietnamese, that, that kind of thing. There almost wasn't a need to travel in a, in a strange sense mm-hmm. because we had such a rich background there. And I was exposed to Peruvian music in Berkeley. In the 70s and 80s, you had a lot of refugees coming up from Latin America during all of the political upheaval that was happening during this time. When, when the fallout happened between Allende and Pinochet in Chile, a lot of Chilenos came up, and they were bringing Andean music. And I would see these shows, and I would see how my mother looked happy. Or she, just, she, she just gave me more of a hint of where she was from other than the exotic, wild stories that she was telling me about her, her chaotic upbringing and, and the culture or mm-hmm. that she witnessed. And I would come home trying to imitate this music at the piano with my South African teacher who would encourage it, that I would try to make the piano sound like a charango guitar, which is our version of the ukulele, and with the way they do the strumming and the repeated notes and the inflections. So we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't destitute, but we didn't have a lot of money left over for travel growing up. And music came to me as a profession, a little later, I was about to go into college when I made the decision to become a composer. And so all I needed to do for several years was just to train, simply train, get my bearings in classical music, basics, get Bach down, all these kinds of things down. So I had a marvelous, I would say, six years first, getting my bachelor's and my master's before I wound up in Bolcom studio, mm-hmm. when a suggestion like traveling in Latin America could really make more mm-hmm. sense to me. 
And Balkan basically said, look, you have to go and, and look at this more directly. And I knew it, too. Mm-hmm. And when you were um, with Bolcom, then another great opportunity came around, which was to write for the Utah Symphony. And uh, you hadn't written an orchestra piece before at that time, right? Well, I had only one under my belt, and that was my dissertation, the infamous orchestra dissertation that composers have to do yeah. that we write like somebody blind in, in the dark or not really understanding <laughs> instruments. And this opportunity came about to write an orchestra work. And to um, it was guaranteed a performance on a on a big CD, standing alongside Rachmaninoff symphonic dancers and the Bernstein uh, West Side Story dancers. So, not a lot of pressure, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was sweating bullets you know, yeah, writing it, imagine. and and I didn't have a great deal of time. I remember, and it it actually worked out all right. And the Utah Symphony players themselves were so kind; mm-hmm. they were. It was a great first experience, not the scary experience that going into the orchestra world often can be for young composers. I had a very positive first one. Great. Let's have a listen. This is Jungle Jaunt.
I remember that the timpani player really sought me out to thank me and asked me for a timpani concerto after this, and he was really happy that somebody had given him a part that was melodic for once. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They usually just go four one or five one five, five one. one. <laughs> Maybe a four one. That's if they're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> if they're lucky, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was Jungle Jaunt, um, performed for us by the Utah Symphony Orchestra. I want to turn now to a, a really fascinating disc that, that you were part of. Um, this is the Silk Road Ensemble, Off the Map. And um, the piece that we're going to be able to listen to is Arawi para Cochipocro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I uh, just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that. This is a, a place name in Peru, right? Yes. And this town is one where my grandfather, Maximo Cam, my mom's father, who was born in China, he spent a good deal of time in this mining town as a young man, 18, 19, and he was one of the managers. And I have always been really enamored with the photos of him that show him in his dress with the Indians around him and the other workers around him. And it made real to me what my own history is. That It's fascinating that just one or two generations back, we start getting to places as exotic as China or the or the mountains of Peru or Lithuania, and, I, and how did I end up in Berkeley? You know, put the little pinpoint there. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. So the, the Arawi is, is one of the quintessential song forms of the Andes. It's what we've inherited from Inca, possibly pre-Inca cultures. What we know about the Arawi is that it's a more meditative, slow song form, Looking at old verses that have been chronicled about it, it looks like it was a love song and a melancholy love song mm. where there, there's love that has not been, uh, love does not conquer all, in, <laughs> in other words. So this opportunity to work with the Silk Road is another one that came, just came out of the sky for me. I was very blessed to have it. They were interested in composers that were doing multicultural work and didn't know that I was accidentally authentic and that I had some Chinese heritage in me after (laughs) all. I was assigned for this first piece that I wrote for them, the shang and the pipa. And I was so new to Chinese instruments, having not a clue as to what Chinese music was like, that I thought the pipa was pipe and was a type of wind instrument and was very surprised to see that it was their version of the lute or the guitar. So living near Chinatown, San Francisco, I actually went and, and got a got a pipa for myself and started learning how to write well for this instrument, understanding its its um, the array of notes on the fingerboard and and I was particularly attracted to the fact that it has a lot in common with the charango, which is the Andean version of the ukulele. It's a high pitch guitar like instrument traditionally made with the body of an armadillo shell on the outside as opposed to wood. And it has a kind of a mix between a ukulele, harpsichord, ban- I mean, all kind of bandurria sound to it. It can do a lot with repeated notes, flat, fast notes. Um, there are charango players that have been called hummingbirds that tell you something about the action that the right hand over the strings can produce. And my assigned pipa player to the Silk Road Project is the amazing woman, and she was game to do anything. So I learned how to write for pipa, and then for Wu Tang, who was the uh, shang player, was able to fashion together a shang part two, and I bought one as well. So this was my first experiment, writing for non-Western instruments. Curiously enough, it was Chinese instruments, it wasn't Andean instruments. This Mm -hmm. was 
my first opportunity for that. Chinese instruments playing uh, uh, a song <laughs> form inspired by Inca or perhaps pre-Inca times. <laughs> it really is, you know, and, and not only that, but there's some influence of, of the slave culture, the mm-hmm. Afro-Peruano slave culture is, is coming in there. And, and you have to work hard not to be multicultural, I think. Mm-hmm. It's much easier just to capitulate to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's listen to Arawi para Colchipocro. Thank you. 
Arawi para Colchipocro by Gabriela Lina Frank. Uh, from a disc that was actually nominated for a Grammy a couple years ago by the Silk Road Ensemble Off the Map, unfortunately for a category that no longer exists, the, the crossover category. And you were part of another project that uh, was nominated for a Grammy recently, and this was for your string quartet, Quijotadas. And you actually went to the Grammys. Um, I did. Was this that, was this, that was this past, year, right? This, this past February, and uh, members of the Alias Ensemble were there with me for the category of uh, Best Small Instrumental performance. And they were so kind as to invite me to share their first CD project. They wanted to do a disc, all of my works. And Quijotadas is the string quartet on that work. And Quijotadas is inspired by Don Quixote, the the great story by Cervantes of Spain. And this story was written right around the time of the Inquisition and the Conquest, and it's often credited as being our first modern novel. And so quijotadas means uh, quick sadicism, these flights of fancy Mm -hmm. that we have. And around this time, personally, what I wanted to do was to put what I was studying in Peru on my own and into context. So I wanted to look at the music of Spain. You cannot look at the music of Latin America without looking at the music of Spain. And I had been starting to do that, and this seemed to be a good a good story to use as, mm-hmm. a, as a launching pad. So in this movement that we're going to hear, the Segadilla, this is uh, inspired by the Segadilla dance, which is what Don Quixote would have been familiar with, and Cervantes was very familiar with this style. And it's a foot dance. It's one that there's a lot of uh, stomping and, and uh, virtuosity in the foot moves of it. Great. Let's listen to Segadilla para la Mancha. Thank you. 
Secudilla para la Mancha, performed for us by the Alias Ensemble. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. I'm Seth Bostead, and my guest today is composer Gabriela Lina Frank. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll come to our website at relevanttones.com. I was struck that the, the, the Alias Ensemble is not a string quartet. It's a larger ensemble, and they kind of plucked four players out to form a string quartet, but they sound so incredibly tight. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's one of the you know calling cards of the string quartet is they practice together, they sleep together, they, they live and eat together. Absolutely. Um, but these players don't necessarily do that, and yet they still sound very much like a, like a quartet. These are incredible musicians, and the uh, Alias Ensemble uh, was formed by Zen Bowers with some of her colleagues, and Zen is a, a violinist in the Nashville Symphony. Her husband, Matt Walker, is, is a cellist in there, and Chris Farrell, violist, I mean, and Allison Gooding, I mean, all of these musicians, those are the four players that play to this quartet, are phenomenal musicians and needed a chamber music outlet. Mm-hmm. And so they formed a really tight roster of other musicians. And as the need comes up, they will form different smaller ensembles within. So on this CD, for instance, we have a string quartet. There's also a cello piano piece. I was privileged to play that with, with Matt. So they're able to mix and match, but they work really hard to have a unified sounds, which is why the alias string quartet, which doesn't technically exist, they sound like they exist. Right, yeah. they, they sound like they could be a group. Yeah, they sound fantastic. They sound great. Speaking of that cello and piano piece, <laughs> uh, that's the next thing that we're going to play on the show. What can you tell us about that? This is a one-movement work called Adagio para Amantini. And it was originally written for David Finkel and Wuhan, the directors of Chamber Music Society at Lincoln Center, as part of a, a, uh, a double concerto I had written for them and the Pro Musica Orchestra a few years ago for cello and piano and orchestra. And the slow movement of that is just for the two of them. The orchestra drops out. So this is that standalone mm-hmm. adagio. Amantani is one of the islands in the Lake Titicaca, the great body of water between Peru and Bolivia. And it's our highest freshwater body of water in, in the world. And I just found out that you've seen the, the lake. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and know how extraordinarily beautiful it is. Yeah. And you feel a little bit like you're on another planet when you're there. It could be ordinary things don't work. Batteries stop working and mm-hmm. your suntan lotion doesn't come out the same way. It comes out all <laughs> separated and doesn't work on your skin anymore. And, and I spent some time in the lake on several of the islands, the man-made ones of Totora Reeds, as well as the natural ones. Uh, of rock and dirt, and Amantani is one of those. And they control the tourism very carefully on these islands, so you can only go for limited visits. And Amantani is a very poor island. It's rather barren, and yet it's just heartbreakingly beautiful. And so I wanted to write something that had that more expansive feeling to it. Uh, the harmony is needed to be dissonant and craggy to convey the, the, the harshness of life as you as these inhabitants have, and mm-hmm. and uh, this is uh, with uh, Matt Walker playing on cello with me and and playing quite beautifully.
What a beautiful ending. That was Adagio para Amantani for cello and piano. Um, did Matt Walker give you a hard time about those high harmonics at the end? <laughs> <laughs> so he difficult. did, and then he nailed them. <laughs> he, he did. He did a great job. Another thing that, that that's, is immediately striking as soon as you hear the piece are those repeated notes in the, in the piano. Uh, it's kind of an odd technique um, and something that, that, uh, that yeah. you do quite well. Where did that come from? That came from something I was really nerdy about when I was a little kid, just geeking out on these repeated notes at the piano because they sounded like the Chirango guitars that I would hear in which you have uh, players that are given names like Picaflor, the hummingbird, because they can just flit about on the strings so quickly with repeated notes and uh, or very quick chords that are back and forth between just two notes only. And I developed a repeated note technique also at the piano, which is very different from passage work, scale-like passage work that you'll see in Beethoven or Mozart or the great rich chords of Brahms or the octaves of Liszt. And those are the staple kinds of techniques you'll see in, in piano work, not repeated notes in which you will uh, balance three, two, one, three, two, one, three, two, one, if those are the fingerings of your fingers, and you just go back and forth between that. But... Because I got comfortable with it from a young age, I incorporated it quite a bit in my piano music, not knowing until later that this was considered a, a rather tough mm-hmm. thing to do, both for uh, agility as well as stamina. We have just enough time to play some more music from your Grammy-nominated CD, Elos, and this is the title piece, um, Elos, for clarinet, violin, cello, and piano. We'll be listening to three movements. We can listen to Zapato de Chincha, Danza de los Diablos, and Juegos. Um, what can you tell us about this piece and about those three movements in particular? Well, Ilos, written for the Alias Ensemble, means threads. And I, like a lot of my music, I wanted to tell a story again of different things that I have personally experienced and weld that to what I know of Latin American idioms of the music and the performance practices of the musical culture there. So Ilos is no different in that way. And the three movements that we're going to hear are uh, Zapata de Chincha, the first one is inspired by the Afro-Peruano culture, which you especially see on the coast. Zapatos means shoes, so this is shoes of Chincha, a town near the Nazca Lines, one of our great tourist sites in Peru. And this is a tap dance, so it's just for clarinet and cello and has a, a, an almost jazzy-like quality to it. Danza del Diablo is a devil's dance, but it's not a, a devil as in uh, Satan. It's more of a, an imp or a mischief-maker kind of devil. And it's a classic umpa umpa kind of dance okay. you know, <laughs> that you have stitched together between the pianist and the cellist. And um, it's, it's uh, just a romp, really. And really a romp is juegos, which means games. And games of the children, really, as if the children are teasing one another. And it's not necessarily nice. It's sort of has a kind of that quality to it. And this one is for the clarinet, violin, and cello. So all of these movements mix and match mm-hmm. between the four. And only the outer movements really bring together the entire ensemble. So we'll hear three of the inner movements. Thank you. 
Three wonderful movements from Ilos by composer Gabriela Lena Frank, who was my guest today. Um, I had such a wonderful time listening to your music. Uh, it's, it's so interesting, varied, vibrant. Um, there's there's a, an interesting story behind everything that you write. Thank you so much for coming down and uh, sharing your music with us. Thanks for having me. And if you like anything that you heard on today's show, it's all available for purchase at iTunes or Amazon. Just put in Gabriela Lena Frank to the search engine. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McQuarters at WFMT. For more information about the program and the artists we've featured, you can find us on Facebook or visit our website at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible by the generous support of Grosvenor Capital Management, Carol Joins and Abby O'Neill, an anonymous donor, and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm your host, Seth Bostead, and thank you very much for listening.